My name is Scott Weiss, and you're listening to Let's Get to Work, the podcast series that dives deep into recruiting and hiring trends, the global workforce, the future of work, job search tips, technology, and more. I've worked in the recruiting and staffing industry here in Seattle for the better part of 15 years, where I now own and operate a technology-focused recruiting firm, McKenna Partners, which I started in 2012. As part of my role as both president and principal recruiter, I am fortunate enough to have the opportunity to engage with a wide range of players in the employment space. From directors and VPs at some of the most recognizable brands like Disney and Groupon, human resource leaders, entrepreneurs, consultants, and of course, talent. What I've learned from the many conversations I've had over the years is that the talent, hiring, and employment landscape is evolving faster than most of us are able to keep up with. What would have been considered way outside of the box five years ago has become accepted, if not the new normal in many cases. And these changes present an interesting challenge for both employers and employees. How do companies adapt to these new trends without sacrificing the knowledge and experience gained from years of proven success doing things the old way? How do hiring managers attract the talent they need to get their projects completed in such a competitive market? How do job seekers weed out the progressive companies from those too slow to change, or worse, not willing to change at all? Through conversations with a highly curated selection of thinkers in the recruiting and employment landscape, we hope to answer some of these questions. And today, we're fortunate enough to have with us a Seattle-based entrepreneur who is disrupting the market for finding and hiring remote employees. Gino Ferrand is the CEO and founder of Tecla, a recruiting platform that connects growing tech companies with pre-screened senior software engineers from around the world, which he spun out of Tecla Labs, a mobile and web development company with teams in Silicon Valley, Seattle, and Latin America. Gino is here to talk with us today about Tecla, how his clients are approaching hiring remote workers, and what the future of remote work looks like for companies that are still wrestling with remote work policies. Welcome to the show, Gino. Hey, thanks for having me, man. No problem. So let's get started by uh, having you give us a little bit of background on Tecla Labs, uh, you know, the agency side of your business, how that got started, and then uh, what, you know, what that business looked like while you were running it, and how the software platform grew out of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, Tecla Labs is, um, is an agency, like you said, that mostly focused on web and mobile development for early stage tech companies. Um, so we mostly worked with um, companies in San Francisco and you know LA, um, a lot of the tech hub spots, and we mostly worked with startups that were in between the seed stage and uh, series A. Um, and I started it in 2012, <clears throat> um, coming out of Coming out of college, I went to school in San Diego, um, started the company there, built up a small team um, in San Diego and in the U.S., and then uh, shortly after, I went back to Lima, to Peru, which is where I'm, where I'm originally from, um, built uh, you know, a team there, and, and that's sort of what started the whole um, you know, cross-country collaboration and then distributed uh, teams and then what got us going in, in that direction. Great. So how did you find your initial first few clients to do uh, 
outsource development work? Yeah, I mean, we mostly um, we mostly connected with college entrepreneurs. Um, like I said, I was you know coming out of school, twenty two years old, so no no network um, in in larger businesses or you know no real connections into larger companies. So um, I mostly connected with other college entrepreneurs. Um, and they, you know, obviously it was, it was that time when, um, everyone was trying to build, uh, the next Facebook. So a lot of, um, you know, college dorm companies and, um, that really gave us the ability to work with a lot of companies in different spaces. Um, and then that's really how we broke into, you know, landing our first clients. Got it. And, um, Tell me a little bit about the team that you assembled initially to do that work. Yeah, so I was uh, mostly in charge of you know product management and then project management for for the clients we were working with. Um, from the get go, um, we hired you know some contractors, some people that were based in the U.S. Um, and then very quickly, as we ramped up, um, really it was just a, a, a personal. Uh, decision to go back to to Lima for a couple of years. It wasn't business oriented, but I I knew I could keep working with the people we'd we'd hired um, in the U.S. and and keep collaborating with them. And so I went back, and that's really when I, you know, we landed a few more clients. We really needed you know full time people, and I was already back in Lima. So I thought, why don't I open an office here? There's a really great you know, base of um, iOS developers. We were working a lot on a lot of iOS applications, and then we started hiring full time in uh, in Lima for that office. Started you know staffing that office there, and um, and then we we ended up with this you know collaboration with some people in the U.S., which eventually we started growing a lot more in our office, um, and and you know that's that's sort of how it got started. How did your uh, clients feel about? their work being tackled by uh, workers who were not, you know, necessarily based in the United States. In this case, sounds like a lot of your engineers were down in uh, Peru. Uh, how did how did that work for them? Was that an issue for them? Did they embrace that? And, you know, ultimately, what made your clients decide to hire Tecla Labs versus bringing on full-time engineers, especially uh, growing startups that are still trying to build out their products and define their strategy? Yeah, I mean it. It um, yeah, it, it kind of evolved into um, the reason why you know Tecla is the platform that it is now. Kind of evolved from all of these. I mean, reflecting on some of these things, like you know, it was definitely uh, working with startups was uh, in the beginning. You know, we were able to work on some of their products, but a lot of companies were also trying to keep things in house. Um, so it was definitely. Um, in a way, it's it's an uphill battle, um, but I'm not sure if it's the remote aspect of it. And definitely today, it's much less the remote aspect that makes you know prospective clients apprehensive of trying it. I think it's more the uh, giving up control of the um, the actual project and the management of of the you know building the product. And so that's, I think, where we had more, you know, kickback from companies. Obviously, they didn't want to outsource the entire project. And actually, that's how we started evolving and saying, okay, well, 
you know, that's how we got into staff augmentation, which is essentially, you know, offshore staffing. Um, and, and then how we got to where we are today, which is just a, a remote, you know, hiring platform. But um, initially, yeah, it was difficult, definitely convincing people to, um, you know, they, they knew what it was like working offshore. So obviously, these the companies we were approaching were companies that were already um, they weren't deciding between in-house and you know offshore, but they were rather already looking for an offshore partner as well as hiring um, you know locally. Got it. And how much of your ability to win those first few clients um, and then follow on clients from there was built on the trust that you were able to establish with these small startups that, hey, you know we want to function as an extension of your team. Um, we're gonna help you save you know, money and, and get, get product to market quicker. Um, were those some of the reasons why you were able to land some of these clients? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think most service businesses and especially with larger, you know, larger services, you could say, I mean, it's not, you know, a hundred dollars, $200 service, but rather hiring a whole set of people to help you, um, is a big decision. And so it mostly relies on, on trust, right. From, you know, and word of mouth, and and really, the first couple of years, we only grew through word of mouth, and obviously, so many companies trying to build things. It's so hard, so hard to hire talented developers, as of course you you know, and, and so um, and, and so yeah, definitely grew from you know the the results that we had for a few companies, and those companies you know spreading the word. Right. So you get this agency business off the ground. You've got a development team in Lima. You've got clients um, here in the U.S. that you're helping build uh, iOS applications for, for the most part. When and where does the idea for Tecla as a uh, platform for recruiting you know, and hiring remote workers become a thing for you? Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've, I've mostly been involved on the sales part. You know, I mean, any small company where you're the person starting that company um, unless you have like a uh, sales CEO type co-founder and you're the CTO. Um, and even then I think, you know, you're involved in sales. And so I was primarily just doing sales. And when we would approach companies and talk to them about Tecla, um, especially the companies that had not heard about us before, um, they obviously came back with, we do not want to outsource the development of the project. So, you know, I kept hearing that, I kept hearing that until a point where I was like, okay, um, what if you don't give up control of the project and instead we um, basically come on to your team, we integrate ourselves onto your team instead of the other way around because, you know, working with an agency, it's kind of like throwing it over the over the fence back and forth, you know, passing that ball back and forth, revisions and all this stuff. And I, I really have changed my mindset on how well that works in general, especially for something as intricate as software. So um so yeah, that's how we got into the staff augmentation where we were, you know, instead of taking over the project, we were augmenting those companies with the right developers. And then that kind of organically led to what Tecla is now, which is mostly companies approaching us to help source talent for them to hire remote. I mean, just remote talent. So, um, it kind of began from, you know, a sales approach, like, you know, customers are asking for this and we're trying to sell something else. And, 
there's space for all of these services, but we were also kind of beginning to find out that we really had a great uh, we really had a great process for recruiting and you know assessing talent, and so um, it was sort of something we enjoyed as well as you know the entire team. So it was kind of organic. It was like customers are asking for it, and and that's kind of the part that we enjoy. Uh, more. So that's kind of how it grew like organically. Got it. And now when your uh, clients come to Tecla now through the platform and you're helping facilitate the recruiting of remote engineers, are they in most cases hiring these engineers as full-time hires? Are you serving as the employer of record for like a contract to hire model? How is that working? Right. Yeah. I mean, so once we basically stopped building products and we went on to a staff augmentation model, um, you start really realizing that um, I feel that a lot of the staff augmentation companies that are working you know, with team members offshore, you're adding less and less ongoing value. Um, the value really is in the initial, you know, recruiting and finding the right person and, and, you know, that initial recruiting process. So, um, today most of her business is helping companies hire directly. Um, and that's where I think culture has really shifted in terms of remote. I don't think we could be running this business back in 2012 even, um, because, now companies are much more comfortable hiring someone full time uh, who might live in might live in the U.S., but um, might also live in Argentina or Brazil or Chile, Mexico. Um, and obviously, there's a whole set of countries with great talent in Eastern Europe and stuff. And we don't tend to focus on that kind of talent because of the time zones. Um, but but I mean. Definitely now we're most mostly focused on companies hiring directly and and you know the process legally and contractually is a little different, but the um, the way that companies are working with those you know quote unquote employees is pretty much how they would be working with someone in the US or, or locally in office you know right so if a company is open to the idea of hiring remote, which it seems more and more companies are these days, and my prediction is that, you know, five, 10 years from now, it will be utterly normal. And a company that doesn't hire a remote will kind of be left in the dust just because there's going to be too many options for talent to find companies that will hire remote. Uh, wh- why would this company seek to hire remote engineers outside? Let's say it's a U.S. based company. Perhaps they're in Seattle. Why wouldn't they want to hire a remote engineer that? is in the United States where there aren't potentially language issues, time zone issues, cultural differences, that sort of thing. Why would they look outside of the United States uh, for somebody that's going to work remote? Yeah. I mean the, um, yeah. And and we do work with a lot of companies who want to narrow their, their search on the platform to just find candidates who are based in the U S even if it's remotely, you know, if it's a company in San Francisco, they might, they'll be open to talking to someone who's based in Nebraska, who's based in Minnesota, um, you know, anywhere in the U S but, um, you're right. It does become a little different when the company says, okay, let's, um, interview people from your network who aren't just in the U S but maybe are abroad. 
Um, obviously, there's um, there's an economic advantage um, hiring a senior developer with you know more than ten years of experience in Argentina. Um, um, salary-wise, comparing his salary to someone in San Francisco, and even in the examples I mentioned, like Minnesota or something, um, are still considerable. So you can hire more people, um, essentially, who are just as qualified. And obviously, that last statement really depends on what company you're working with on the recruiting side, and you know that the type of talent that that company can find. But uh, if you take that statement as true, that you can find two developers who are equally qualified and can equally speak English and can equally work the same hours, um, then you end up comparing you know, the economic piece and you can hire perhaps two people in Argentina instead of one in the U.S. So essentially you're uh, looking at it as... Um, you know, companies that are maybe going down this road are focused more on kind of end results, less on the process of how do we get to those results. And hey, bottom line is we need to ship this by this date and we need this much manpower. Um, and for the same price of what we would get for one person, we might be able to get 2x of that uh, if we are willing to extend ourselves outside of just the United States. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's also the cost of filling the position, right? I mean, even when you open up your search to the U.S., to people working remotely in the U.S., um, you know, a search and, and finding people for that specific role is is always, it's it's still, you know, based on who's available at that time and just who you're able to meet at that time. And so I mean, if you open up your net and you can meet more qualified people, it just gives you a better chance of finding the right person sooner, you know, in less time. What challenges, um, what challenges does this present to the hiring manager and possibly also the, uh, the HR folks um, when you are now looking to offer employment to not just a remote worker, but someone who's actually outside of the United States um, right. without getting into all of the kind of the, nuances of visas and whatnot, um, what would you say the top, you know, two or three challenges are for the manager, uh, that will be managing this person and then also operationally or HR for the company, what would be the two or three challenges for them? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the, the main, um, takeaways in terms of sales for us, you know, when we talk to a prospective client, um, some are not open to hiring remotely, right? And that's, that's one discussion altogether is why some companies are not open to hiring remotely. But then there's the companies that are open to hiring remotely and might not want to go abroad. And then, you know, the reasons for why that is are, you know, numerous. Um, but in terms of how it actually plays out for the companies that do say, yeah, okay, let's look at candidates um, both in the U.S. and abroad. Let's compare. You know, just bring me the best of remote. Um, um, w once we get to that point, I think it, it really depends because some companies just don't have the understanding of how things work. So many uh, might think it's like a daunting task, you know, like, uh, what do you mean we're going to hire someone full time, uh, you know, quote unquote employee 
in Argentina. Like, how are we going to do that? We don't have an office in Argentina. We're not legally based in Argentina. How are we going to do that? I think some companies just shy away from even having the conversation because they just don't understand what the process is like, you know? So in terms of accounting, for example, um, it's actually quite simple. It's, it's probably simpler than hiring locally. Uh, and that's what more, most companies don't realize. Um, you know, when you're hiring someone abroad, um, typically it's like hiring a company abroad. I mean, there's no withholding, um, typically. And, um, you know, the, the developer is taking care of their taxes in their local country. So essentially affecting payment is, and getting an invoice for services rendered and establishing a contract, uh, as you would with any, uh, contractor on your team, um, is, is essentially what you need to do. There's nothing special you need to do. Does your, to does your platform help facilitate some of that at this point or perhaps in the future? Yeah, so that's what you know. That's what we've come to realize in the past year is how much companies um, uh, appreciate that help. Like, if from the get go you're like, let's have a conversation to see if your company would be interested in this, and then you know we'll talk about what the actual you know operational um, stuff is like. Then they're much more open to having the conversation. Yeah, so because we, I could I could see how. Sorry, I cut you off, but I was gonna say I could see uh, how. You know, on one hand, the value proposition of we will, you know, source the best available remote talent for you in these specific uh, expertise areas. And then we will also provide you with all of the onboarding so you don't have to seek out answers to those questions of how do we do it? We will do it for you. Um, I could see where there's a lot of value there because I think you're right. That would be the number one, I would think, biggest concern is how do we hire somebody outside of the United States that you know, we don't even have an operation there. So sounds like what you're saying is it's really not that hard. In fact, in some ways, it's maybe even easier than hiring somebody here in the U.S. So um, I think you're well positioned to help. And then what would you say on the day-to-day -day management side? You know, if I'm a software development manager and I've now got two or three people in Argentina that are my full-time employees, how do I go about incorporating them into our daily agile stand-ups and um, you know, where, where do you see the potential roadblocks there? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to what you were saying about helping companies, like obviously we, the only, like we do have to find a balance between, you know, offering legal and accounting advice because we're not an, an accounting or, or, you know, uh, um, um, legal company, but, um, yeah, we're trying to offer more and more help and guidance at least, you know, share resources where, where, you know, companies can learn more about this stuff. And actually we were, um, you know, we just launched, um, a couple of weeks, we launched a blog on our website. Um, and we're hoping to create really, um, um, pieces with considerable information on, on how to manage your team, which is what, what you just asked me about. And also how to hire, how to manage accounting stuff with your employees, how to, all of this stuff when it comes to remote, um, you know, offshore essentially, because most companies know how to hire a contractor um, in the U.S. But 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 then again, like to your last question, most companies actually don't really have a clear framework on how to work with their employees when they're remote. So um, that's the kind of stuff we're also going to be publishing. But 
I mean, essentially, it really comes down to the company's culture. Uh, there's actually a lot of companies that are really, really fit for working with people remotely because most companies are sharing information digitally nowadays with Slack, um, with Skype, obviously, which has been around for a while, but mostly with Slack and Google Docs and you know all of the tools nowadays that allow companies to share information online instead of in a conference room. Um, you know, just be a voice in person um, means that all that information can be used by people anywhere in the world. So it really depends on the company. Some companies are old school. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, we we get together in the conference room and post it on the whiteboard and and that's it. That's where that information lives. Well, yeah, if you're going to try to work with someone outside your office and literally your information lives on a whiteboard, um, on a physical whiteboard, then it's your your company is probably not going not going to succeed onboarding people full time because that's that's what it takes. I mean, there's you know some companies that work with people um, remotely, but they're like freelancers or like gig workers, like task oriented, like finish this task and you send it to us and then we pay you and then we send you feedback. But we're trying to really help companies hire people full-time, like full-time team members. Um, so it really depends on how that company is sharing information and, and how they're communicating. You know, most of our company in Lima, everyone was sharing information via Slack. <clears throat> so it's like, it's like I didn't even need to be in the office. And, and actually, most engineers are just looking at their monitors all day. So it was actually kind of hard to get people off of their computers, which just makes it a perfect team. Um, to work remotely, you know, an engineering team. Yeah. And it sounds like what you're saying is, well, a lot of companies here in the U.S. are watching the immigration laws start to shift away from more flexibility or, around things like the H-1B visa and the number of available slots. Uh, I think they do a lottery every year um, and it seems to be continually restricted. Uh, and that would be in terms of bringing somebody outside of the United States into the United States so that they can right. actually live and work here. You're saying to look be companies can now look beyond that and hire that same talent without having to worry about any of the visa um, issues because there's no reason that that talent needs to physically be relocated given all of the advances in how information is shared digitally. Yeah, yeah. And even comparing to 2012 to give you a really real example when i moved back to peru in 2012 it was hard to get you know 20 megabyte speeds of internet um really hard um i think the average person was probably working at home with six or eight when the u.s was already at gigabyte speeds you know now you know just six years later um easily everyone is working with like 100 megabyte speeds from home in latin america and you know, most countries, most regions. And so that has helped tremendously. And again, if it's a company that shares information and works online, then those companies are really fitted, you know, fit to work with people um, who might be, you know, um, interfacing remotely. But to what you were saying about the visas, um, that, that also is like a complex subject because um, we do work with um, a lot of companies in Canada, for example, who are ro relocating a lot of people. Um, but in the U.S., of course, uh, right now it's kind of a tricky time to even mention, you know, the ability of a visa sponsorship. 
But uh, the interesting thing is that a lot of companies we speak with, when we tell them that we can help them, uh, you know, interview and meet engineers in um, Latin America, they ask about the visa situation. And I think most of them don't understand that you don't need, like visa is only if the person is working in U.S. territory. If you're working with someone remotely, you don't need any kind of visa conversation. And you're you're seeing companies uh, willing to hire and manage remote workers that stay where they initially were, in this case, maybe Argentina, without being physically uprooted on a visa, even to a company in Canada. And you're seeing that, that there is adoption there. And that is kind of the direction things are going. Yeah, yeah. Lots of adoption, lots of, uh, lots of companies that are, um, you know, remote only, even big companies like, um, company that makes WordPress. Um, you know, I think Envision is a remote only company. I believe GitHub was for a while, or I know GitLab is, um, you know, a lot of companies buffer the social media app. Um, a lot of companies are remote folk, like remote only even. Um, what about, what about like non-tech companies that increasingly are becoming more, more tech than they, they realize because obviously nowadays it seems every company is a tech company, even if you're not selling technology. Um, you know, you've got a lot of uh, executive leadership who are skeptical and say, you know, this is just not how things are done. I mean, we, we pay money to have a, a, an office lease. We furnish it with, um, you know, great, great perks like a, a kitchen. And, you know, we do our Friday afternoon happy hour or, you know, this is how we build our culture. We need people commuting in. We need them coming to the office. We need right, physically right. need them to be here so that they can, uh, you know, build relationships, collaborate. And of course, there's the whole side of as a, as a manager or a leader, you know, I want to see what they're doing. I want to know what they're doing. How, you know, what advice would you give to those companies in terms of how they can open up their minds to the possibility of remote? Because I do work with companies in the Seattle area that are, are facing that right now, especially when you're looking at technology hires is how do you compete for the same talent when you're not willing to offer flexible office hours and you're essentially demanding that your staff be in the office from whatever, nine to five, five days a week to do the same type of job for the same amount of money that another company is willing to say, look, you can come to the office if you need to or not. We only care about the result. You know, how you dis- how you get to that result, we're going to give you the autonomy to figure it out for yourself. You can come here if you need the office, if you need the resources, but that's entirely up to you. How how are those companies going to be able to compete for that same talent? Right. Yeah. I mean, the the fact is, unfortunately, there is still this stereotype that in office is better, and there's just more. I don't know, for a lack of a better word, intensity to the work. Like, you know, remote is just not as ideal as in the office. And it's kind of like a uh, second class citizen, you know? And I, I, I really still think that there's that uh, misconception. And uh, I mean, in the startup and tech world, at least, I think, you know, VCs were the number one culprit of this because they just want to plow money, see an office, and it's just the way um, business is done. Like you said, you have an office, you bring people there and you collaborate, you know, 
but the fact is the world doesn't work like that anymore. I mean, um, maybe it's just a generational thing, but I think um, the more, you know, when younger managers are making decisions, that's when remote is opening up a little more. Because like you said, people, uh, the other day I was reading a study where I think most employees in the U.S. were saying that the number one thing they want from their job is more flexibility, right? More um, in terms of hours, like schedule, you know, managing their own schedule, being able to pick up their kids from school and not, you know, miss that whole part of their kids' lives. So, so, yeah, what, but, so what would you say to the CTO or the CEO or the CFO of a company that says, I don't buy it. Um, that's great that other companies are doing that, but that's not how we've done things and that's not how we are going to do things. And um, we have enough other great features of why someone would want to work here uh, that that shouldn't really matter. What what would right. you what would you say to that person? Well, a lot of the companies are focusing on features being like a ping pong table, and that's like that's like so um, you know Facebook. Yeah. Well, how about how about forget the ping pong table? We are the number one insurance company in our space. We've got a eighty year track record of success. Um, we've got great shareholders. We offer some of the best benefits that you'll find. And we only right. hire the best people. So if that's not good enough for somebody and they want to work remotely, well, they can go work for WordPress. Right, right. How do you change their minds? I mean, um, I think it all stems from why they want people to come work in the office. Um, they might know something about their own company. They might know that the way the company is set up it's not right for people working remotely. I do believe that that's a thing, meaning I, I don't believe that any company can work, you know, in a way distributed. I, I don't think it's just any company's, it's, I don't think it's just a hiring thing. I think it's a management thing and a work thing. So um, if the company's not set up, maybe those people do know something and they know that the way things are handled, information is communicated, that it makes more sense to work in office. But um, a lot of them are not evaluating that. A lot of them are just saying, like you said, like we're the best company, you know, Blizzard Entertainment, like we're the best company in gaming. We make the, the best games. Like you come work in Irvine, California. First of all, how many people in that, how many people do you think work in that space in Irvine, California? People are having to relocate to Irvine, California. And I mean, it just makes no sense for well, people with to the, have Yeah, and with the cost of living. And, you know, we were down in um, Bend, uh, Oregon last week, which is a um, kind of one of these emerging kind of smaller markets where they're starting to build out a sort of a remote workforce. What's happening is that folks who have been able to land a remote job, a lot of times in software engineering, and we actually met somebody that fits this profile exactly, uh, decided to uproot his family and move to Bend because the cost of living is is so low relative to other major markets. There's right. a airport right in town where he can jump on a plane and get to the Bay Area anytime he needs, you know, an hour, hour and a half, two hour flight. And, um, and he's making the same amount of money he'd be making if he was living in Portland or Seattle. And so well, folks like that are becoming you know, more the norm. And as somebody who spends a lot of time on the back end of LinkedIn, uh, the LinkedIn recruiter product, where I'm constantly searching the LinkedIn database, uh, increasingly, you're seeing more software engineers and, you know, other types of workers, but specifically in this case, software engineers who are only interested in remote work. And uh, there's no flexibility for them because that's what they're doing now. And as right. that becomes more and more the norm, 
that influences other software engineers who say, wait a sec, if she can do it or if he can do it, then I should be able to do it. And if you're, in my opinion, if you're not a company willing to address that uh, and start to really open your mind to the possibility of remote software engineers, then you're going to constantly struggle to get your work completed and to keep up in the market. Um, and I think that probably the biggest challenge for companies, and, and maybe this is me answering my own question, is if I'm the CEO or CFO of a company and I say, yeah, we're open to that, how do I now deal with all of my legacy employees that have been working for me for five plus years that have never had the chance to work remote? You right. can be sure that if I start hiring people to work remote now, um, that they're going to want that same privilege. And so that is a huge, I think, adjustment and learning curve. And I think that's probably going to be one of the big roadblocks in terms of how do we start adapting this? We're fine to bring new people on that way, but what does that mean for everybody else? Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where it's key that people, for example, the developer you were talking about that moved out to Bend, uh, it's key for companies to not make it a, a small decision. Like you were saying, like, oh, this person's going to work remotely. You know, Jeff is going to be working remotely from now on, like not a big deal. It really changes the whole culture. Like you said, I mean, it can have, you know, a propagating effect, but also Jeff can't feel like he's missing out on something anymore. You, you can no longer have like, we have a great office and everything is great here. We share so much information here, but Jeff is remote. So, you know, Jeff is able to do it, but, you know, it's not ideal. I mean, you have to change the whole uh, environment and make it so that everyone that works remotely can work uh, with the same amount of information and not miss a beat, you know. And so it does become tricky when you talk about hybrid companies, companies that have people working in office and also people working remotely versus, for example, our company. Tecla is a 100% remote company now. You know, we went from office to hybrid to no office. And so it forces us to really like, you know, everyone obviously know what's missing a beat, you know. But with hybrid companies, yeah, there's other definitely larger companies, especially there's, you know, things you do have to tackle like right on and see, okay, how is our culture going to change so that we can have um, remote, you know, team members that don't feel like, second-class citizens or like they're, they have to like scramble to get the information like hey what happened in that meeting like that's that's clearly not a good strategy to grow yeah and I think a, I think a good follow-on conversation to this episode uh, would be uh, to bring somebody in from one of these larger corporations that is starting to address this kind of hybrid model and what are some of the change management programs that they're putting into place to uh, allow for this culture shift without a lot of disruption. Um, so that would be an interesting conversation to maybe find out in the real world how, how a company is doing that. So um, we're just about out of time. So uh, to our listeners, um, anybody out there that's interested in learning more about how to hire uh, remote software engineers and start to build out your remote team, I guess they can visit uh, tecla.com, T-E-C-L-A.com and get started there. Yeah, it's, it's T-E-C-L-A.io. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, definitely um, I love chatting with, with any founder and any CTO, anyone in, in mostly, you know, we work with engineering teams. So because they're the most, they're the ones looking to remote. But yeah, chatting about, you know, how companies can change their, their management because it's, it's not just a hiring decision, like I said, but 
it's something they have to, you know, think about in terms of how they work. Great. Well, Gino Ferrand, CEO and founder of Tecla, uh, talking with us about remote work, remote workers and the future of work as it relates to companies here in the U.S. and Canada hiring talent outside of the United States on a full-time basis. We really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a great conversation. I hope we can keep having um, conversations like this in the space about remote and, and the future of work. We sure will. And thanks to all the listeners, and we'll see you next time on the podcast. 